We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen, and I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. It is June 2nd, Thursday, June 2nd, and we have a whole gang of 49ers news to dive in. Dive into? Dive in which to dive in? Talk like a 17th century philosopher. Uh, Frank Gore retired. Alex Mack retired. And the 49ers signed their draft class. We'll talk about all that. Let's go. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. I know Frank Gore just retired today. We're recording this Thursday at about 4.26 p.m. He retired today, but since he hasn't played in the league since 2020, and when he did, he was on a really bad Jets team, it feels like Frank Gore hasn't played football in like 15 years. It feels like pre-pandemic was 15 years ago. Right. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, I get I get exactly what you mean. Um, because look, the last few years have not gone super quickly. But um, yeah, I mean we've we've talked a, a, about Frank before, and we had Matt Mayoko on, and he told some stories. If um, I highly recommend if you haven't listened to that podcast episode to go back and check it out because Matt always brings brings the heat. Um, but you know, to me, this this was expected, right? It was. As soon as Frank hung him up, even when he was playing for other teams, it was very apparent that like, okay, whenever he does retire, he's going to um, he's going to sign the ceremonial contract. He's going to do sort of what Navarro Bowman did a couple years ago and mm-hmm. uh, re- retire as a member of the 49ers. They're going to they're going to issue a statement and, and he's going to be quoted and all that. There was no press conference, which was apparently by Frank's request, but um Cam Inman initially broke the story uh, Thursday or sorry, Wednesday night from mm-hmm. the from the Dwight Clark Legacy Series event, which I was at. And Cam did the thing that reporters do. And they're like, hey, watch this. And then they hit hit send on a tweet. And it's like breaking news. And I was like, oh, OK, cool, Cam. 
Um, Must be nice. No, it was a good scoop, and I I did I did see him get get the uh, the official word from a relatively high ranking 49ers official. So um, I can confirm that. I mean, obviously the team announced it, so it was good reporting on Cam's part. But um, yeah, I mean Frank's Frank's just that guy, right? Like you can talk to Joe Staley about him, and he will tell you that Frank is his favorite teammate. Um, I think to a man, just about every other guy in that locker room uh, that ever played with Frank Gore would feel the same way. Um, And he really resonated with fans like during a lot of those down years from when he got into the league in 2005 to um, I mean, those are pretty lean years until Jim Harbaugh came in 2011. There was like six pretty lean seasons. And Frank Gore was really the only bright spot and he would play super hard. He would block his ass off. He would run his ass off. Um, I think the most underrated thing about Frank was his ability to avoid taking huge hits mm-hmm. and he could be a really physical runner without taking a physical pounding, um, right. which is really unique. And some of that is part of the power running game. Like there are such you know, small crevices to slip through that you're not like building up a bunch of speed and getting into car accidents, um, which is sort of how I would describe Kyle Shanahan's running game, especially with these outside zones. And it's probably a reason why Kyle Shanahan's running backs don't last as long as, as Frank Gore did. But I mean, look, given all the knee injuries that Frank Gore had at, at Miami and that, you know, nobody thought he would have a long NFL career and to have, you know, to play in more games than any running back in NFL history and to be third on the all-time rushing list with exactly 16,000 yards. Um, you know, it's special. It's really special. And people are going to talk about Frank Gore, you know, at Frank Gore's a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any doubt that Frank not a debate going to the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm not sure that he's going to be a first ballot guy. And I think there might be validity to the conversation about, you know, people will say, well, Frank was, you look through his era, he was never really one of the, he was never the best running back in the league. Right. Right. Cause he played like with Tomlinson was in the league. Sean Alexander had a couple of good years. Um, Adrian Peterson, right, but he was very, he was very consistently one of the three to five best running backs in the league for like more than a decade. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at the 49ers teams of 2011 and 12 and 13, those teams were built on the running game and Frank mm-hmm. Gore was the big part of it. Um, well, I'm just going to take a screenshot of you and, and your cat right now because this is fine. It's really funny. Um, Kyle's cat is just sitting on his shoulder, like resting up against Kyle's face. Like I haven't been home a lot recently <laughs> and he's he has attachment issues. It's fine. And he might really like Frank Gore, too. Um, big Frank Gore guy. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, Frank Gore and I, I've said it a few different times in this pod, like I started covering the team in 2013. Um, so I covered Frank for two seasons and um, he was nothing but great to me. Like, and he right. had no reason to be. I was a peon reporter who was very inexperienced and super green and rarely even asked questions because I was just trying to learn and soak in everything. And um, I'll always remember Frank for, for being one of the very few veterans who would give me the time of day and, mm-hmm. you know, talk to me on or off the record about different things. And um, it was just super helpful with, with me doing my job. So um, that's one thing I've always respected about him. He's he was always sort of the best post game quote after wins or losses because you knew he put everything into every game that he played. 
And after losses, especially like no one would, no one would be more honest and upfront about the way they're feeling about how the game just went than Frank and right. wins or losses. Right. So um, just a, a great, great player, a, a great, great human um, to a man and, and just somebody that I think deserves all the recognition he's getting. Um, he's going into the hall of fame. I don't know that he's necessarily going to be a first ballot guy, but he will be in there. Um, and I think, uh, I think deservedly. So it's a, it's an unbelievable career and particularly given where he came from, given all the injuries he had in college for anybody who's like anybody in their late twenties to like their mid thirties through those, I was 15 when Frank Gore was drafted 14 I'm 31 right now for like seven years six years Frank Gore was the coolest part about being a 49ers fan like the 49ers are mostly irrelevant but Frank Gore was awesome um and and everybody just kind of knew it and then when they got good their offense like you just laid out revolved around him and how good he was and so he was just the the driving force of what was good about being a 49ers fan for i mean the better part of the i mean for the decade he was with the team even in 2014 that year was a disaster and that final game in against Arizona at Levi Stadium Frank Gore comes out out of the tunnel and the cheer was uh one of the loudest I've ever heard in that stadium before or since um, and then he has that huge game against Arizona. And even with the Jim Harbaugh firing, like looming and him, like weirdly coaching, even though everybody knew he was out the door, like Frank Gore did a lap around the field, knowing it was his last game with the 49ers. And everyone just kind of stood in their seats and took it in. And there was a thought <laughs> given how running back careers go that like, okay, he's going to hang him up. He is, he's played for 10 years. Like he's, he has 11,000 rushing yards. Like what a career. And then he went and played six more years. Um, I mean, you finished, you play 16 years as a running back in the NFL. That's remarkable in, in any era. And to do that and to average the thousand yards a year, 16,000 yards on the dot in 16 seasons. Um, he played more games than any running back ever. He's number three on the all time rushing list. Like it's just a, it's just a, I don't know if testament's the right word, but it's, yeah, it's just a testament to the player he was. And then, I mean, I'll let you carry the the conversation for how he was at the media, but it's astonishing how I've never heard a player talk about Frank Gore and not be like, that guy's awesome. Whether it was a teammate or an opponent or a coach that coached him or a coach that coached against him. Like to a person, everybody involved in the NFL when Frank Gore was in it loves Frank Gore. And that just that's that's pretty rare. Um, and I'm I'm with you in 2026. He'll be I mean, maybe not in 2026, but very shortly after that first ballot. If he doesn't get in on the first ballot, he'll get in and uh, be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And I think he resonated with fans really more than like he connected with fans more than any other player of his yeah. era with the 49ers fans like. There, there aren't a whole lot of players who talk about the fans, frankly, you know, like, and the fans are a, a big part of 
they're a big part of everything. That's that's why the game exists. That's why the game is so popular. It's all because of the fans. And Frank has always connected with the fans in a way that was really unique. And and the fans reciprocated that back. And I don't really know how to describe that side of it so much. It, it was just it's just very apparent that he really really cared about the fans, and the fans showed that in return. Um, and one thing that that will always stick out to me about Frank Gore and, and I guess organizationally, and I think one of the reasons why the 49ers hold him in such high regard is the impact he made on guys like Joe Staley. Right. When when we think about, you know, Frank Gore rubbing off on Joe Staley, Frank Gore being Joe Staley's favorite teammate um, because of his approach, because of the way he fought through everything, the the. Um, the, metic- the meticulous manner in which he took care of his body, the overall professionalism, like these are all traits that I-, I think were infectious and they were particularly to a guy like Joe Staley. And when you fast forward a little bit, even after Frank Gore left, you could look at his impact on Staley and then Staley was sort of the mainstay, like the, right. the pillar of you know those the the Kyle Shanahan teams the first one in 2019 that that bounced back and ended up being good and going to the Super Bowl and then that that was obviously Staley's last season but like Staley was a linchpin for that team in large part because he was influenced by guys like Frank Gore right like that's that's the type of impact that Frank Gore had was that he set a tone throughout the locker room that other guys picked up on and then it led to um, it, it led to other guys carrying that forward and then being that type of figure for that team, which was equally as important, right? Like Joe Staley's value to the 49ers was not just, he's a, he's a great left tackle, but he's a veteran. He's a tone setter. Um, he's a team captain. Like he's, he's the guy behind the scenes who is, is keeping everything together or like one of, you know, a handful of them. And then that's why, you know, we talk about DeForest Buckner in such high regard. Like if you cover the team and you understand the dynamic when, when he was there. And I think Eric Armstead's picking up this mantle a lot and we can talk about that later. Um, But, you know, Joe Staley talked about DeForest Buckner having a lot of those Frank Gore like qualities as a teammate. And honestly, like, you know, we talk about culture and, and I, I know culture isn't always the most like entertaining topic to talk about, but those are culture setters and culture is huge in the NFL. And it matters. If you get everybody rowing in the same direction and um, holding each other accountable, everybody working their ass off, everybody keeping their bodies in good shape. Like these are all things Frank Gore exemplified. And it's all things that really define a bunch of really important players throughout the 49ers um, or players with the 49ers throughout the last few years that you can point out and say, these, these guys are the reasons why this team's good. Mm-hmm. Like Frank Gore is an example of that. And he's, he's passed that on to other guys um, and all that stuff. Super valuable. Yep. All right. That's where I'm going to leave it on Frank Gore. I feel like when we do old rushes, it'll come up again, but that's just kind of where I'm going to leave it for now. Yeah. Let's go. Th- well, when, yeah, as the off season goes on, we'll do some old rushes and goes through some of Frank Gore's best games. Yes. Yes. Um, this is not going to be a full Frank Gore pod. Sorry, everybody. Although I feel like we could do. I think we could do a solid hour if we just went back to like 05. 
and just looked at best we games, should, best moments. We should just get Staley back on the podcast and he can talk about Frank. All right. That's all you, dude. You're the you're the you're the one who knows him. Hit him on the two way. <laughs> <laughs> Producing live. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Alex Mack also retired from the 49ers today, but first he restructured his contract, cleared up, I believe it's $4 million in cap space this year, and then later announced that he's going to retire. So I don't have a, I don't want to wax poetic about Alex Mack and his 17 games at the 49ers. Uh, he's very good for them and helped them get to the NFC Championship game. He's one of the best, the best center of his era. And he was on the he was on the Hall of Fame All 2010s team. He'll probably go to the Hall of Fame too. But the bigger deal now for San Francisco as it pertains to Alex Mack is like what do they do at what do they do at center? They have Jake Brendel, Keaton Sutherland, and Dan Brunskill are the three veteran options. They signed Donovan West as an undrafted free agent, and then Jason Poe, another undrafted free agent who might end up playing fullback uh, can also play some center. Do you think they just roll the dice with one of those guys? Are they going to go look at like JC Treader, the former Browns center, who's a free agent? What, what do they do here? Because center's a position that Kyle Shanahan's always kind of prioritized. We saw him go out and get Weston Richburg when he retired. We saw him go out and get Alex Mack. And now they're kind of, <laughs> they're kind it's not, of it's not great the, I, I don't want to say they didn't do anything but they didn't do anything they didn't it, it's like they didn't have a contingency plan in the event that Alex Mack retired so I I do think like I, I know they've been preparing for to not have Alex Mack for a while throughout the offseason but what's odd is that they didn't make it a priority in the draft and we've seen this front office kind of do this at different positions throughout the years, right? Like I remember in 2018, they very clearly needed pass rush help and they did nothing to help the pass rush. 
And, you know, that was the famous Kyle Shanahan saying at the draft, it's, it's going to be really hard to beat out Cassius Marsh. And now that's sort of like the running joke every time they decide to completely neglect a position in the offseason, which is kind of what they did at cornerback last year. And it proved to be really problematic because the cornerback situation was a disaster early in the season. And, you know, a lot of those early season losses might have been avoided if they got better play out of their secondary. And then they didn't have to scratch and claw for a wild card berth in the playoffs. Right. Um and now this offseason, it looks like they've similarly neglected the center position, at least for right now. Uh, we're recording this June 2nd, so there's plenty of offseason to go even before training camp starts in roughly eight weeks. J.C. Treader, who's been the what vice president of the NFL Players Association and has been a strong advocate for just completely abolishing the offseason program, mm-hmm. like if he's going to play this year, it's probably going to be a situation where he signs with a team at the start of training camp, right? Right. Just, just based on what we know about just his viewpoints on, on, on the off season program and all that. Um, but even that, like, you know, JC Treaders played in a similar system um, with Cleveland, but I don't know that it's necessarily guaranteed that he's going to be awesome. Right. And I don't know if there's a starting caliber center currently on the roster. And I think a guy that they feel best about, at least playing is Daniel Brunskill because he's gotten so much action at right guard the last two years. But even then he's probably league average, maybe at best at right guard. I think you and I have talked about Daniel Brunskill as somebody that, you know, right guard as being a spot that they could really upgrade. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so I just don't, like, I don't know that they're necessarily comfortable with Daniel Brunskill being their own only option, or they should feel comfortable about Daniel Brunskill being their only option. Yeah, especially, so, <laughs> especially I, I since like he might also thing... be their best option at another position. Right. Like, if you, it, they know right now, like, let, let's look, left guard, center, and right guard. They have, they have three holes on their offensive line right now. Worst case, if you're starting Daniel Brunskill at right guard, it's fine. Like, it's fine. It's not the end of the world, but you'd like to improve there. But if you're then moving him to center, where we've seen him at center and he, he was not, he was definitely not as good there. Now you have a bigger hole at right guard that you're potentially filling with a player who's worse than Brunskill, and you still got to figure out left guard. And that's it. This this has bit. There's a potential that this could be a pretty significant mess if a couple of these draft picks don't play out or don't work out. Yeah, and it's also worth pointing out that Brunskill hasn't been participating in OTAs while he's he's been there at the facility, but he hasn't been practicing at all because he has knee tendonitis. Um, right. That's not a huge deal, but like if he's switching to center, it would be nice to get him a bunch of reps in the spring, yeah. particularly with Trey Lance, you know, being right. a new starting quarterback. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a problem for sure. I think, um, and I think the best way for them to solve it would be to sign JC Treader, frankly, because at least you say, okay, at least we have a center who started and played at a reasonably high level at, at points of his career. Right. Rather than I like, th- you know, cause like it's too important of a position to, to your point that, that you made earlier, like Kyle Shanahan prioritizes the hell out of tackles and centers less so guards, but like. 
they haven't made center a priority at all this year. So I'm, I'm, it would make sense. Like their whole line of thinking would make sense if, you know, it's July 22nd and we get news that the Niners are signing JC Treader to a two-year contract or something. Right. That would, that would make sense, but it wouldn't surprise me. You know, we talked about going into the draft, like maybe that first pick in the second round, like maybe they should go get a guy. Yeah. And that was, so that, that was, that was kind of the thing during the draft, right? Is when they didn't take a center on day two, they went with Drake Jackson uh, at 61. And then at 93, they went Ty Davis price and then, or 98, whatever in the nineties, they went with Ty Davis price, their first pick in the third round and their second pick, they took Danny gray. And so they go no offensive lineman on day two when they had three picks and it's like, Oh, so Alex Mack must be returning. Like that, that was kind of the, the signal there, but then everything Lynch and Shanahan said kind of pointed to him retiring. And then they, so the interesting one, the interesting name is Donovan West, who was a undrafted rookie from Arizona state. And he was a player that during the pre-draft process, when you went deep into mock drafts, he was often mocked to the 49ers. I think they had a visit with him. They, there was a real chance that had they taken him in like the fifth round, nobody would have really blinked. And they wind up getting him as an undrafted rookie. And the notion of a rookie playing center for Kyle Shanahan is, is kind of out there. And an undrafted rookie doing so is even further out there. But when you look at the available players on the roster, unless they love Jake Brendel, it's like maybe maybe this undrafted rookie winds up just kind of winning the job by default because he's just the best player at the position and they'll deal with the lumps that come with not being super versed, super well versed in the offense. It just that's my my key name to watch. It's Jake Brendel. Yeah, I mean Jake Brendel's mm-hmm. played. I think and Donovan two, West two, yeah. Brendel's played 250 snaps at center in his career um, over three seasons, which is about five games worth. I mean, I just, again, I'll go back to the idea that they just, for whatever reason, and I get that maybe you're not going to be able to address every need every off season, but like they have a pattern of just sort of neglecting positions and in, in the off season that turn out to be pretty crucial spots. Well, and okay. So, at the same time, I think you can also look at it like this, where they added players they think can help, you know, early in the draft and, and you know, throughout the draft. And then at, at guard, they're banking though. on, but they're banking on, but they're banking on Aaron Banks to take over at left guard. Like they're gambling on their, their draft picks because they have Aaron Banks to play left guard, theoretically. Um, and then at right guard, they've taken in the last couple of years, Colton McKivitz, Jalen Moore, Daniel Brunskill can still play there. So they have bodies to to compete at right guard to figure that out. So let's say Jalen Moore wins that job. Now they they have they have options with Brunskill at center. They have Brendel. They have Wet. Like they have they have all these other Ke- uh, Keaton Sutherland is another one, another veteran option. Um. I think that's a little bit what they're doing here is just banking on two guys winning the guard jobs and playing well, and then they can sort out center later. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's just playing with fire. 
It definitely is. Like you have it's probably not the right way to go about it. <laughs> you have a super young quarterback. You would love to have an experienced center in there who could at least make his job a little bit easier pre-snap specifically by helping him call out protections and make adjustments and do all of those things that Alex Mack did for, for Jimmy Garoppolo last year. Like I just, you know, I, I think it's a fair critique to, uh, of the off season overall to say like, Hey, you kind of knew like the Niners, they, they didn't really, I never got the impression that they were taken off guard by what happened. Like they were surprised by Alex Mack's retirement. That was never my impression. And I talked to I talked to someone even, you know, before the draft and like they were preparing to not have Alex Mack this year mm. and they didn't draft a center. And so, you know, maybe West is the guy that that is going to be an undrafted free agent who turns out to be a contributor early on. And, and that does happen from time to time. But to have no other plan. Right. There's no way that was their plan. Like we're gonna get this guy undrafted. Yeah, we're gonna sign this gonna undrafted <laughs> center, give him a hundred K guaranteed, and that's gonna solve our our center situation. Like that just it it, it really feels like they're like like they've had conversations with JC Treader. Yes, that's that's my that's what I keep coming like back that's to. Of of all the outcomes, that's one. And then there's a pretty significant gap between, you know, either Sutherland or Brendel or whoever else yeah. starting. Yeah, which which goes to, you know, I went to OTAs this week again and like the big takeaway from OTAs, these OTAs specifically is like it's for me it's less about Trey Lance and like Trey Lance looks fine, like he looks his motion looks a little bit more abbreviated, he looks a little bit more comfortable, but like it's there there are no starters out there playing with him really except for, you know, Kyle Uzcheck and Brandon Ayuk. Um, and even defensively, like Eric Armstead and Jimmy Ward are really the only starters out there. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's some some corners out there. But like the big takeaway for me from OTAs overall is that there's nothing to take away because all their best players are not participating. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so for me, it's like the center situation is like, all right, do we worry about this now or do we just assume that this is going to come together as the rest of the roster comes together for training camp? Right. Like, are we going to have more answers when the whole team's there? Like, that would probably make more sense. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. What is it with Bay Area teams and having problems at center? Am I right? Is that a shot at Loon Dog? No, no. I I was going to say that was until Loon Dog showed up. Oh, my goodness. Light minutes. Talking (laughs) Warriors. Yeah, we're recording this before game one. I'm really excited. Also, um, I was going to ask you this at the top of the pod as as like a little bit. Um, oh, bottom of the you, pod bit. Yeah, so I'll make it a bottom of the pod bit. Have you asked Neil Kulong, your boss over at USA Today SMG, um, if you could just start candle wire? Because you're just such a big candle guy and like the biggest candle expert I know. Just start oh, that's like right. a blog dedicated to candles. So if everybody remembers, I candle shamed Chris one time because this absolute psychopath (laughs) was burning a pumpkin bourbon candle, which again, not knocking the smell. I bet that smells fantastic. But burning a pumpkin bourbon candle in May, which is just heinous. You don't do that. And so for Chris's birthday, which was Wednesday, shout out, Chris, happy birthday. Um, For your birthday, I bought you some summer scented candles. And I'd takes. 
I have so and many candle takes. I'm burning Waikiki Beach coconut. Oh, right now. dude, it's so good. Yeah. Don't you feel like you're sitting in Hawaii? Yeah. And you know what? It You can definitely tell it's made with natural essential oils. Yeah, well, that's right. And that's the best part. If the there's anything I can't if there's anything I can't stand, it's non-essential oils. No, just just <laughs> shitty, um, unessential, unnecessary oils. Yeah. Just, just mucking up your candles. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does. It does smell great in here. I think the, the way you described all three candles that you got me mm-hmm. um, made me realize that you sh- you might consider making a side hustle out of this which is it's not a game should, dude may, yeah no it's a i think you could really do it you should ask neil if you can start candle wire okay and just start blogging about the candle biz and then i'll start a podcast candle chronicles <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know about that one man <laughs> yeah uh, i just i i just dude okay so i'm gonna we'll get back to the niners signed their rookie their draft class by the way all nine players they're all so, gonna be there they're all going to be there. No Shout drama. Out. No, uh, no Michael Crabtree business this year, and no random like guy jogging out to late to training camp because he held out. I think it's partially because they didn't have a first round pick this year. But yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, all nine guys signed on Thursday. No notes. So back to candles. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember what I was going to say. Okay. I was gonna go in on something, but um, do we want to talk at all about the uh, what was said at the the Dwight Clark Legacy Series? Is it news that John Lynch said he would be a fool to trade Debo Samuel? No, and because apparently so, ESPN believes it is. So it's kind of wild, which is because, fine. I get it. Okay, so this has happened twice this offseason. So first, Kyle Shanahan said he expects everybody, including Debo, to be at minicamp. And that got run with like the 49ers expect Debo Samuel mandatory minicamp. Like, of course they do. Of course they, they, the expectation is that he'll be there. He won't be, but that's the expectation. It's not like Kyle Shannon talked to Debo and Debo's like, yep, I'll be there. Like that wasn't. And so for, for Lynch to yesterday say, I'd be a fool to trade Debo Samuel. He's going to be part of us this year. Like, okay, fine. The 49ers can believe that. And would they be foolish to trade him for what they'd get for him at this point? Yeah, probably. You know, a future mid-round pick is, I mean, maybe a future first, but probably like a second or third. And then for him to say he expects him to be part of the team, like, of course, he's not going to be like, yeah, be a fool to trade him, but man, he's probably not going to play for us again. Of course, he's not going to say that. Yeah. Yeah, and so the context of the quote was John Lynch was on stage um, fielding questions from Matt Mayoko and Laura Britt, and Matt just said, what's up with Debo? And then John Lynch went and answered the question, and the highlight of that answer was, I'd be a fool to trade Debo. And Lynch gave, you know, he, he pretty much gave the same answer he's given whenever he's been on record the last couple months about the situation. Um, <clears throat> based on just things that I, I sort of hear, and that like, this isn't, I'm not like, I, I don't feel comfortable enough with what I've hear what, what I've heard to like report anything, but this might drag on. Like I was of the mind that Debo would 
they get they, they would hash out their differences they would figure it out and Debo would be there in time for the start of camp and he still might that's still mm. certainly a possibility I know there are people who know Debo who say that he's prone to change his mind from time to time um but this thing could drag out like and I'm just I'm very curious to see how much Debo is going to dig his heels in on this. Um, and, you know, I, it's just it, it doesn't sound awesome from what from what I've heard. And I, I will point out that, like. I'll put it like this, I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence. That you hear some people, maybe even former players who are now in, in the media say, you know, I've talked to people inside the locker room, like Emmanuel Acho's report from however long ago that was, or last week or whatever, when mm-hmm. he said, you know, he, I'm hearing Trey Lance, isn't it? I don't One find it, I don't find it a coincidence that a 49ers player is saying, apparently a 49ers play, player is saying that to Emmanuel Acho while Debo Samuel happens to be upset. I mean, right. let me, I'll just say that, right? And you can, you can connect those dots however you like if you're right. listening out there. But that's just all I'm going to say about that. And I don't know if things are overwhelmingly positive uh, on on that department, in that department, no matter what John Lynch says. So we'll see. Yeah, that would be, I don't know, man. If that's if that's the case, because I had not put those two dots together, the fact that you have a disgruntled wide receiver and then all these people saying, I've talked to people in the locker room and they they're they're out on tray or whatever. I'd not put that together. But think about it now. Why wouldn't that just come to light? Like, why would he say, don't even offer me a contract and I, you know, the, all this stuff about his role and this and that, like, why wouldn't it? He just, I don't know. This just seems like a weird reaction. If that's, if that's the case, if he's just out on Trey Lance, even though Trey Lance threw more touchdowns to Debo last year than Garoppolo did. I don't know that I cannot say what an odd thing. If that's the case, that's an odd thing. <sighs> Yeah, the, I mean, the things I hear are just odd overall. Like, it's just an odd situation, I would say. And yeah. it's, I would be right, a little concerned. It's definitely concerned. not a straightforward, normal holdout. I would I would be a little bit demand. concerned about it from the standpoint of not even like, like, I do think a deal is going to get done. I think Debo is going to play for the 49ers at some point. But I do wonder what Debo is going to look like this season after he does get a contract. Sure. Like, is he putting in the same work that he did last year? Because if you remember, he came in last year after basically a a down season in 2020 when he was dealing with injury and um, he broke his foot and was a little overweight because of it and then never really practiced in 2020 um, because of the foot injury. And then he had groin and hamstring injuries and he just there was a, a bout on the COVID list. Um, and like 2020 was just kind of a wash season. And then he came back super motivated, particularly with the new contract in mind. And he had just an, a completely incredible season in 2021. What's Debo Samuel look like after a completely incredible season? Because we know after a bad season, what he looks like. 
is he going to have the same rigor, the same motivation, the same zest for working out and putting all the work in that he needs to, to get his body in shape and all of those things amid this contract dispute and come out and replicate what he did last year. Mm -hmm. I think it's a fair question. And look, if he came out and balled out again, that wouldn't surprise me at all. If he came out and we're like, man, that all that stuff with Debo in the offseason really proved to be problematic and the 49ers are not getting the same guy that they had in 2021, that wouldn't surprise me either. So, you know, we'll see. And maybe I'm wrong, but I just the the whisper, the the whispers that you hear about Debo just aren't super encouraging at this point. And again, maybe it maybe it, it all does a 180 in July and he signs a big contract and everything's hunky dory and he has a big season again and goes on to be a Hall of Famer. But right now, in this moment in early June, I'm a little I would be a little concerned. Huh. Interesting. At some point, there's going to be like a tell-all on this, right? Man, I'd love we'll to get write all, it. We'll get all the details <laughs> at some point. I would I would love to write it. I mean, I, you know. So here's the thing. Like, peeling back the curtain on, like, journalistic integrity and all that. If you get facts or or if you get things that you can verify with at least three credible sources and you can just completely make sure everything is accurate, that's when you see things written and reported because you can feel very good about all, all of what you're saying being true. But when you only get one or two people saying it, you can do what I just did and kind of say, yeah, I'm not super encouraged with what I'm hearing and be vague about it because you're not necessarily, you don't feel super like good enough about it's it. It's not a fact that you can report, report it. it. Yeah. Right. But I do feel comfortable enough to at least mention it on this podcast as like a potential concern it's putting dots on paper and not necessarily <clears throat> firmly connecting them yeah hmm. i remembered what i was going to say earlier about candles okay let's get to it i in school studied communication like communication studies is what i officially majored in i double majored in journalism I was, um, I was really hoping you'd say something about like you made candles in an art class for a semester. No, anyway, I did that like in grade school. But oh, okay, so you do yeah. have a background in candle making. Yeah. Right. So well, growing up, my mom would always burn candles in the house. Okay. And so and so I had that, but I learned that that olfactics, which is the study of like smell and like communication through smell, um. I learned that that was a thing and I didn't get super far into it because that itself in and of itself doesn't interest me that much, but it just, the, the power of, of smell on just like your, your frame of mind or the way, the way, you know, you kind of operate or your, what's the, like the, like your emotions, like it, it's a real thing. Like it actually matters. And, yeah, and I just pheromones are important with like relationships. Like you're not going to date somebody who you think naturally smells bad. Getting hella deep into this. But yeah, no, that's why that's why <laughs> I rock with candles so heavy is because right. is because I just coming home when it's hot. And if it smells like Christmas cookie, I'm just like, ugh, I don't, ugh I'm out. <laughs> but if it smells like Waikiki Beach coconut. All right. Now I'm in. Now I'm good. 
But like, I wish I, I wish, I wish I had studied olfactics more so I could have a deeper, more like, um, um, educated explanation. Sure. But trust me that it's a real thing. And that's why candles matter to me. If I'm overall just in a better mood while reporting, while recording podcasts, um, and maybe in my reporting too, maybe I'll spark a candle when I'm, (laughs) when I'm doing some reporting. Um, I will, I will have you to thank. Yeah, man, you're welcome. And this Waikiki Beach coconut. Candle. Hey, Bath candle and Body Works, sponsor the pod. Yeah, I'm, I'm we'll down. do a candle cool sesh. Cool with that. All right, anything else? I've got nothing. Got, I've got nothing. nothing else. All right, I took Warriors in seven. Um, again, we're we're roughly an hour out out from tip off of game one. I wrote about it in the B. I just think the Warriors experience is, is going to prove more valuable. Um, and just the fact that the Warriors have been in a bunch of finals and I don't think they're going to have lemon booty like the Celtics had in game seven in Miami, even though the Celtics have won a couple game sevens now over good teams. I just on the road on the road. Yeah. But I, I think this is a completely different thing. Like I, I, I think the finals are a completely different animal. Yeah, no, that's definitely the case. I just, the big thing that sticks out to me and the reason that the thing holding me back from being like, I think the Warriors might roll is we have seen so many times this year. We even saw it against Memphis where a, where a big physical team can force the Warriors into chucking up bad shots, turning the ball over, allowing the opponent to get out and run. And that's what the Celtics are. They are big, they're athletic, they're physical. And can the Warriors win? Like, absolutely. I'm not ruling it out. But the the thing that's really holding me back from being like, of course, uh, is is that I could see two or three games in this series where the Warriors have like 23 or 24 turnovers and, you know, they they give up a bunch of fast break points and they just make things easy because I'm not sure as much as we talk about the Celtics defense. I don't know how easily the Celtics offense is going to score on Golden State. That's where and I'm at. And so if they're getting out and running and getting easy buckets in transition, now it's danger. The only time the Warriors have lost in the finals uh, under this current, you know, this current regime has been when they haven't been healthy. And even then they went against LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. Right. Right. And Jason Tatum, he might, it would take a LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard like series for him to beat the Warriors. And maybe he has that in him. He certainly has the ability and potential to do that, mm-hmm. but I'm just not banking on it against a team that right. hasn't even lost in the Western conference playoffs, like since 2014, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, right, man, that's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy to think about. And, um, Obviously, I'm hyped. I'm just glad it's something. I'm glad it's something different. Yeah, I'm glad it's it's not like like. I'm glad it's not Warriors first LeBron again. Well, but like Warriors Nets, like ugh, that would have just been brutal. Like Kevin Durant's name has already come up every single day on my station. (laughs) Can you imagine if he's? It is amusing to me though. I love Kevin Durant. I'm a big Kevin Durant fan. It's very amusing to me that he leaves the Warriors the same year Kyrie leaves the Celtics and the right. Warriors and Celtics are playing each other in the finals. Yeah. Like that's not a Kyle original thing. Everybody's yeah. pointing that out, but that fact is very amusing to me. Um, our guys over at light years, uh, Samus Fendiari and Andy Lou, um, obviously, I mean, if you, 
are a Warriors fan and you're not listening to that podcast, like figure it out. It's um, my go- it is my go to post game content. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. They do a great job. They had Nick Wright on uh, this week. I do. I have not gotten around to it yet. Oh my god! It was I can't so, wait. It was it was phenomenal. Um, it was really really good. A high high quality listen and and just a great great job of getting an elite guest. Yeah. Um, and the intro the intro was epic. It was all it was all very good. If you're even if you're unfamiliar with Nick Wright and what he's said about the Warriors the last few years and how he's such a LeBron guy and all that, like they they'll spell it out for you in the intro. Perfect. Um, and they do. <laughs> it was it was a phenomenal episode. So shout out to those guys. Um, and again, listen to their podcast during the finals because it's going to be elite. Can't wait. Might right. try and get Sam on our podcast. Yeah, if he's got time. He's yeah, got shoot. a young one, and he's got you know his own pod to deal with. But yeah. yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Maybe after the series. Yeah, maybe a good idea. Okay, everybody, subscribe, rate, review. Thanks for listening. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com